What's up, everybody? Pastor Matt here. Thank you so much for checking into the podcast of Gospel Fellowship PCA. Hey, listen, what if I told you that there is a solid, biblical, doctrinally faithful, reformed church on a beautiful campus just a stone's throw north of Pittsburgh? Yeah, we don't have a Starbucks in the lobby. Sorry about that. We don't have a fog machine. We don't have an American Idol stage with laser lights shooting all around. But we do have the sweetest, kindest people in the world. We sing the Psalms and classic hymns of the faith. We preach the Bible chapter by chapter. We believe the whole thing's true. We love Jesus. We're on a mission to share the good news of the gospel with the world. Would you be interested in a church like that? Well, come check us out, Gospel Fellowship PCA in Valencia, Pennsylvania. Please feel free to visit our website at gospelfellowshippca.org and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Gospel Fellowship Presbyterian Church. All right, thank you so much. Here's today's message. Amen. Uh, if you turn, uh, please, in your copy of Scripture to Joel chapter 1, uh, we will be looking uh, together at the second half of this opening chapter this book. You can find this on page 760 uh, if you are using the Pew Bibles. Uh, when you have found that, would you please stand uh, for the reading and hearing of God's holy word. Uh, listen now to the word of our God, Joel chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 13 uh, through to the end of the chapter. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in past the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God. Because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. Is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seed shrivels under the clods. The storehouses are desolate. The granaries are torn down because the grain has dried up. How the beasts groan. The herds of cattle are perplexed because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I call. For fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field Pant for you, because the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. May God add his blessing on this, the reading of his holy and inspired word. Would you please be seated? Occasionally in my family, we have what you might call a, a mini crisis. an extra lowercase c crisis. <laughs> uh, we come uh, to the end of uh, perhaps a busy week, 
Uh, and, and on this day, I've, I've been off uh, doing uh, something else, and Kelly's been off with the girls somewhere, and we, we come home around dinner time, we look in the refrigerator, and we find we have no food. <laughs> and we have to eat something because the kids are kind of on edge a little bit. <laughs> Uh, so uh, it's rather easy for us at that point. Uh, we don't have what we need right in front of us. We can go to the store. We actually live rather close to Giant Eagle and Target. Uh, we may uh, perhaps decide to use one of those gift cards that we have in the stack uh, to go out to eat together. Uh, not too difficult uh, to suddenly meet uh, such a crisis when you, ha- when you lack some of the basic things that you need, at least in the moment. The real hardship, of course, comes... Uh, when you lack something that you can't so easily replace. Uh, Suddenly, uh, when you find uh, the refrigerator empty and you don't have resources or perhaps even a place available to go get food, then you simply go hungry. Uh, When you lose your job uh, and you can't so easily find employment, uh, suddenly you don't have a way of supporting yourself and your family. Uh, Perhaps what cuts deepest is when you lose a family member, no matter what you do, you can't get them back, at least in this life. Um, In those cases, uh, when we find ourselves uh, perhaps with a capital C uh, crisis, and we are unable uh, to supply what is lacking or taken away, uh, what sustains us? Uh, Well, many of you know Uh, We're sustained by the grace of our God and his faithfulness. Uh, There's a comfort that we have and that we find uh, that whatever is stripped away from us or taken away, uh, we know that our God uh, continues to be faithful. He will never leave us or forsake us. Uh, We know that he provides uh, whatever it is that we need day by day, and we pray the same. We've even prayed already in this service. We look to our God and we know that even beyond and underneath uh, how it is that we feel or what we experience, our God is faithful. Now try to put yourself in the shoes of the people of Israel uh, during the time, whenever it was, that Joel uh, was writing uh, this prophecy. Um, They have uh, suffered uh, very clearly, uh, uh, they're in the midst of a capital C crisis. Uh, Food has been stripped away and taken away by this plague of locusts. And verse 4 is very clear that there's hardly, if anything, uh, hardly anything left at all. Uh, Devoured, it seems, uh, to uh, its end. Uh, Well, how might the people respond at this point? Well, you know the Lord has given. He takes away. Surely he's able to provide again. Uh, You would perhaps think of how it is that the Lord in the past has provided for this very people, even in the wilderness, providing food from heaven, right? Uh, The manna that came, uh, there was no provision that they could see around them, but still the Lord was able uh, to give. Uh, He had even delivered them out of Egypt and brought them into this land in the first place. Uh, God is the God who provides and gives gives to his people. Uh, Surely our God is with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. Perhaps similar as we would say ourselves. Um, Perhaps as they're thinking this way and looking back on what God has done, that he's surely faithful both now and in the future, then Joel shows up and starts preaching. Uh, He opens uh, this book 
saying that this is a plague for the history books, not something that will be so quickly forgotten or should be forgotten. Uh, He draws attention uh, to the devastation. He surveys it. And he does not tell them to be still and wait patiently. Uh, In fact, in our own text that we've just read, he draws attention to something that he had mentioned quite briefly in in the earlier part of this chapter. He draws attention to what is the state of things in the house of the Lord. Uh, It was very brief as he surveyed the the breadth and scope of the devastation, but now he focuses in on it a little bit more. And what we find in these verses uh, is not immediate relief. Uh, In fact, it almost seems that Joel's point here is that he wants us to slow down and to have this plague um, uh, 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 work its full effect upon the people of God. Um, He is not giving immediate comfort here, uh, nor is he holding out an obvious relief that they would hope for. But he actually shows this is actually a time of what is a crying out to the Lord in lamentation. And so Joel draws attention to the house of the Lord Uh, that he might show what it is that this plague exposes as well as what it is that this plague teaches or anticipates. Those are the two main parts uh, that we're going to look at as we look at this text uh, together before drawing some more application for ourselves. What this plague exposes and what this plague uh, teaches. First, what it is that it exposes, again, in this first few verses, he draws attention to the house of the Lord, the house of our God, uh, and he is speaking to the priests here, and he picks up on what he had mentioned in verse 9, where it says, the grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord, the priests mourn, the ministers of the Lord, and then he goes back to that in verse 13, noticing at the end of this verse where it says that the, the priests are to mourn and put on sackcloth. Why? Because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Uh, Certainly what's going on here is there is at least uh, the effects, the natural effects of the plague that has come upon the land. If all of the food is cut off, then certainly the grain offering and the drink offering will be cut off as well. You don't have any sort of resources to pull from, but he's actually getting at something, of course, much deeper than that, where he wants the people to notice what are not simply the natural effects of the plague, but what are the, what are the religious consequences of the plague. Uh, these ordinary sacrifices are now withheld and unable to be given. Now turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 29. I want you to, to, to recognize what I, I think is Joel's focus here. Uh, throughout this book, he, he, he repeats multiple times the grain offering and drink offering. Well, why, why is he speaking of these offerings? Certainly, there's many more and many others uh, that are brought uh, to the Lord. Well, Exodus chapter 29, this is at the time, as you will recall, uh, when the Lord is giving instructions as to how it is that the tabernacle, the tent in which the meeting place of God where he dwelt with his people, how it is uh, that it is both to be made as well as in this verse, Um, how Aaron and his sons were to be set apart and consecrated 
and the kind of uh, beginning of what is the sacrificial system. And it says this in Exodus 29, beginning into verse 38, as the Lord speaks of what is the regularly offered sacrifices before our God. Exodus 29, verse 38. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hen of beaded oil, beaten oil, and a fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer with it a grain offering and its drink offering, as in the morning, for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. Well, I will meet with you to speak to you there. So here's part of the point then. Uh, these offerings, this grain offering and drink offering, was to be given together with the lamb morning and evening every day. And it was the basic, lowest level offering to the Lord as a pleasing aroma to God. Uh, what happens now when we come to the book of Joel and the grain offering and drink offering are cut off? Try as you may to give what is the regular offering that the Lord requires day by day. It cannot be offered as the Lord requires and as the Lord finds pleasing. The most basic level of how it is that, God have, that the people of God have a confidence that he dwells with them and he receives what comes from them as a pleasing aroma has now been cut off in Joel's day. That's the urgency that they face. You go to the house of the Lord and the priests are wondering, what can we do? You can't just offer a lamb. It's not what the Lord requires. We don't have this other, the grain offering and drink offering to offer that the Lord himself would require from us. But the priests don't get the day off, do they? There's a call to put on sackcloth and lament. Not something that has an ordinary place in what God had called his people to do, but now stands out as something they must do because they have nothing else to offer to the Lord. Crying out now to the Lord, it exposes here um, not merely the religious consequences, but what they are to grasp is also the, co the, the covenant significance of this plague. What is the plague itself? Uh, Pastor Matt had referenced this last week in his sermon, how the, the, the plague of locusts is one of those things that's mentioned in Deuteronomy 28 as one of the curses that the Lord himself brings upon his people. Uh, here is one of the hardships at the very thing which the Lord has required from his people, he has withheld from them. What is there now to give before the Lord? Uh, what is to be done? Well, of course, the priests lament, but it's not merely to stay there. Uh, there is a call that they have to consecrate a fast and call a solemn assembly, verse 14, gather the people together. What is going on in the house of the Lord cannot remain hidden. Uh, the people need to know this. Now, here's what's interesting. Ordinarily, these, uh, these daily sacrifices, the people wouldn't just be there seeing them being offered. Uh, this is something that you could presume is taking place. 
The priests, as they are faithful, they simply do it. They, they do it in the morning and they do it in the evening and the people can, can rest secure to some extent that these things are there and present, but now that they're cut off, they have to know what's going on. Um, the, the Lord has not received this evening what is, ple- what is a pleasing aroma before Him. He's not been given what it is uh, that the Lord has required from us. And the call now that the priests have is not to tell the people, gather in as much food as you can so we might offer what the Lord finds pleasing. In fact, the people don't even have the call to gather as much food as you can so at least for a few days you can eat. Uh, the, the point here is that the Lord would have what is the effect of this plague and what it is that he is seeking to expose have its full effect upon the people of God. He is not seeking here to lessen the hardship, but to deepen its effect so that they might know what it is that this plague exposes. Um, How often is it the case uh, that our goal in our lives, at least day to day, is simply to feel better? Joel would have us not merely feel better, but to feel rightly. How ought the people feel at this point? They ought to be filled with lamentation and crying out to the Lord, throwing themselves upon his mercy, not necessarily even knowing, will he hear when we cry to him? That's part of what it means to throw yourself upon the mercy of God. Do I have a right to be heard by my God? Do we have that right as we come to him? Uh, That's the first thing that this exposes, the deep need of the people as they are called to come before the Lord, crying out to him, knowing that they are thrown entirely upon the mercy of God, waiting for what might come from him. The second thing that Joel would have us notice here that he draws attention to, actually what the plagues themselves are intended to teach, has to do now with the day of the Lord. Uh, There's a concern about what our present state is before the Lord. Now he draws attention to perhaps uh, what the people might be anticipating. What's going to come down the road? And in verse 15, he says this, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. Uh, Joel is addressing here this question of what is it that will come in days to follow? What is near? And he's making a connection. Chapter 2, it will be, he will be much more preoccupied with the day of the Lord. Here is a kind of intervening passage where he is connecting the plague on one hand, in the first half of chapter 1, uh, to the day of the Lord that comes in chapter 2 and showing how it is that they relate to one another. And the basic point is he's trying to show how the plague actually shows something of what it is that comes on the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is near. Let's deal with that. It's a difficult Uh, Part of this, and often there's much debate as to in what fashion is the day of the Lord near, where certainly there's a a kind of temporal nearness that Joel is describing. Uh, The people cannot uh, so easily bank on this hardship that that Joel is describing as something that's going to come on future generations. 
uh, that they will be spared from it, and it will, it, will, it will simply come upon future generations such, such that it does not concern me personally. Joel is saying, no, this has to do with you. You need to reckon with the day of the Lord that is near. But there's a caution also for us and anyone else who would read uh, this, this book in following generations, uh, that it is not a, such a nearness that only concerns them and not us. It is not so close to them that it is distant from us. It concerns us as well. And notice Joel's point here, that as he unfolds uh, what the day of the Lord means and why he's speaking of its nearness, is that his point is not so much the when of the day, as much as the what of the day. He wants to say that what you have seen in this plague is an up-close view of what the day of the Lord is like. It's as though it's come right up to you. And you have a sense of what that day holds. What is it that it has before us, this close relationship? It's, just, it's, uh, it's almost a, a kind of how, how we might use this sort of language when you're on the phone with someone and someone offends you. And you say, I was this close to hanging up the phone. <laughs> so close and so near. Uh, here they have come right up close. And Joel is saying that what you are experiencing is not because the day of the Lord is far, but because it is near and you're getting a taste of what it is that it brings. The temptation at this point is to say that the day of the Lord perhaps will supply what is lacking now. Uh, it will supply what's lacking, or, or perhaps uh, the day of the Lord will come and will oppose the very things that, were presently dis, uh, that presently distress us. And Joel is saying, if that is the approach that we take, we've missed what this plague means. It is an anticipation of what the day of the Lord brings. So what does he say comes with that day? Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes as destruction from the Almighty. Now, uh, the word Almighty uh, is actually a little bit difficult uh, to translate. Uh, some people suggest things along the lines of either Almighty or perhaps Sovereign, uh, maybe even something related uh, to Destroyer. Uh, but the point that I want you to see as to how the kind of language that Joel uses here is that there's a very close relationship between the sound of the word destruction and the sound of the word almighty here. Uh, in Hebrew, it's something like this. Um, as showed from Shaddai. As showed from Shaddai. The word Shaddai, you'll recognize that from El Shaddai. And maybe that song will be playing in your mind the rest of the day. <laughs> uh, Exodus 6.3, as the Lord says, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, as El Shaddai. Uh, it speaks of, uh, of our God and His great power and sovereignty, perhaps even as the one from whom uh, comes this great power that is able to destroy. But however it is that you translate the word that's translated almighty here, Joel's point is to say that the destruction that comes is a true representation of who and what our God is. Now that's a hard thing for us to bear. Um, oftentimes, we see things like this, and our question would be this, how could God do this? Uh, Joel would have us rather ask, how could he not? 
That's the hardship of what Joel is speaking here. As destruction from the Almighty, as showed from Shaddai, it comes. Uh, It's a wrong view of God that is surprised by the fact that he judges. It flows from who he is. It flows from his character and how it is that he clearly deals with sin. As the people would read these verses or hear them perhaps from the, uh, from the mouth of Joel, one of the most distressing things would be when they come to verse 19 and they find that not even the prophet is spared from this hardship. Do you notice that in verse 19? It's almost as though it, it, it turns for a brief moment into something more like a psalm. Where, where the prophet is speaking to the people about what this plague means, as, as what it exposes as they are before the Lord, and also what it anticipates that it comes. And suddenly the prophet himself throws himself at the mercy of God. It says in verse 19, To you, O Lord, I call. As he surveys what's around him. Now it's unclear in verses 19 and 20 whether uh, when he speaks of fire that has consumed the land, whether he's dealing with an additional disaster that has come, uh, or if he's using a kind of uh, uh, metaphoric language and talking about the devastation that is there. It's possible it's an additional hardship. Uh, apparently, when, uh, when there is drought, uh, two things can be encouraged. Uh, locusts or grasshoppers actually multiply very well in, in, in times of drought. And of course, what else comes in drought? Wildfires. It could be that both things have now come upon the people of God. But whatever the case is, Joel recognizes that he himself is one who must cry out to the Lord. So the people are left wondering if even the prophet is not spared. What then of us? Even the prophet cries out unto the Lord, what then of us? This is what the plague exposes and what it teaches as to what it is that comes with the day of the Lord. Now, let me ask this question as we consider even ourselves and try to make some application for us and some framing as to where this leaves us as well as having in mind where it is that we are going as moving from this book uh, to the book of Revelation. Let's consider uh, what the Lord what it means as we consider even our greater prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, He himself uh, came, and when our sins were merely counted and considered to be his, he was not sinful when you look upon him or see what it is that he had done, but simply the legal consideration of our sins upon him Not even he was spared the wrath of God at that point. If the Son of God dies, what does the day bring for those whose sins they are that were upon him? Uh, But of course, as Christ himself has borne those sins, he is the prophet who himself has called out. Uh, The undeservedness of the mercy of God surely is ours, but the cry for that mercy that was heard was his. And his is a voice that our Heavenly Father hears. The cry for our mercy has been heard. 
And the Lord himself has given that mercy and poured it out upon him for the sake of the people for whose sins he has died. Uh, This is the work of our God. Let me read from Revelation chapter 1 as we consider again that we will in months to come, come to, this, uh, come to this book. Listen to what Revelation 1, second half of verse 5 into verse 6 says. As John opens this book, he says this, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You caught that phrase, the end of verse 5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. As we consider where this leaves us and what it means as we would anticipate coming to the book of Revelation, here it is. This is what Joel would remind us of what we are to take to heart. Refuse any and every comfort or shred of hope that does not come to you by the blood of Christ. We don't have any other place to go. And there's no other cause for comfort or hope but what comes to us by the blood of Christ shed for sinners. That's all that we have. Uh, As we come to the book of Revelation, what does God have in store for the world? Well, the book of Revelation has just as urgent a call for repentance, just as a terrifying um, display of what the day of the Lord brings. In fact, if if it's possible, it's almost as though it's intensified. As we have opened up to us the very heavenly temple from which those judgments come. Uh, But added to it, added to it is this. Added to it is really much of the purpose of the book of Revelation. As it is written for those who have been purchased by the blood of Christ. As Joel exposes the state of the church by drawing attention to the earthly temple. Christ makes known to his prophet John. What is the state of the church by opening up to us the glories of the heavenly temple? And what do we see in the book of Revelation? And we see that underneath the altar that is before the throne of God, the prayers of his people rise up, though they are martyred for the sake of the gospel. Uh, What we see is that the elders and a whole multitude of the people are gathered together, but not in lamentation, but in worship to the king. What we see is that the temple of our God is not filled with mourning, but with rejoicing and an unending joy before his throne. Uh, What we see is that there is an abundance of, 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 of fruit from the tree of life that always bears fruit in its season, and it is always in season. What we see is not merely the passing away of things in this world, but the passing away in the wake of a new creation that comes. These are the blessings that Christ himself makes known for those who look to him. So as we come, anticipate coming to the book of Revelation in weeks to come, accept no comfort or no hope, but that which the lamb who was slain gives to his people. The comfort and blessing he has in store is great and able to hold us fast to the end. Hi everybody, my name is Rob and I am a deacon at Gospel Fellowship PCA. I'm also the sound engineer, the camera guy, and the podcast manager. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. Please come visit us in person. 
Gospel Fellowship is a Bible-believing church just north of Pittsburgh, and you can find us at gospelfellowshippca.org. See you next time.